expecting a harvest when you worship God with your giving and you give unto the Lord and you give back to Him what belongs to Him. Give with purpose and give with expectation. Amen? Because God is faithful. And if we're faithful to sow, the Bible says that we will reap a harvest in due time, in due season. <clears throat> Praise God. Well, it's Father's Day weekend, and uh, I normally don't do uh, seasonal messages, but man, I tell you, I, I just, uh, I've been reading in the book of Malachi. I love the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi was the last prophet Prior to, the last Old Testament prophet was not Malachi. You know who the last Old Testament prophet was? It was John the Baptist. But there was a 400 year gap from the time Malachi prophesied until John the Baptist came upon the scene. And so for 400 years, now think about this. Israel was a nation who... They were the chosen people of God who carried, hey, they literally carried the revelation of God. They, if it were not for the nation of Israel, we would not have the scripture today. To them was given the scripture, the word of God, the law, and the prophets, and the writings. And for all of those centuries, this chosen people carried the word of the Lord, and they passed down this word from generation to generation to generation. And recorded in the pages of Scripture, in, in your Bible, in the Old Testament, are the writings of the prophets of God. And the words that the prophets of God declared to a people and to a nation. And not just a word that was declared for that nation, but a word that was declared for all people. For all humanity, for all times. And so, you come to this prophet Malachi, and he was the last prophetic word that God uttered to a people until it, it, it came to this point. And then there were 400 years of silence. For 400 years, there was no prophetic word given to the people of Israel. Now think, we're a nation who is, uh, well, let's just say uh, we made our Declaration of Independence in July 4th, 1776. We didn't officially become a nation then, but that's when we declared our independence. And so we declared that we were in an independent nation then. And so how many years ago was that? That's 200 and what? 233 years, is that right? 233 years. So we still have 167 years to go before we get a prophetic word from God, if we're the nation of Israel. Now think about that. For 400 years, this is a people who there was a continuing prophetic word, and then 400 years of nothing until John the Baptist came. John was the last Old Testament prophet. And in the book of Malachi, let's go there. <clears throat> in the last chapter, in the last verse of this book, the last two verses we're going to look at. Well, the whole book is... is Fascinating. Malachi 4 5 says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then that was the last prophetic word uttered by God. For 400 years. It's called the 400 years of silence. And the last word 
is very significant. I want you to see what God says. God says, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And what's he going to do when he comes? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, I want you to look at Luke chapter 1. Now, we fast forward 400 years. Luke chapter 1. Look in verse 16. Now, what's happening here in Luke chapter 1, there's a, there's a man, a priest. His name is Zacharias. Zacharias was ministering, he was serving in the temple. And what would happen is, if you are of the priestly tribe, there was a rotation. And when your time, when your rotation came up, you served in the temple. And Zacharias, it was his time. And he's serving in the temple. And as he's just going about his business... An angel appears to him and announces something quite significant. And the angel announces that this man and his wife, who are quite old, are going to have a child. And the angel tells Zacharias, he says, Zacharias, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Let me just read from verse 14. And the angel says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And and so this angel announces the coming of this son. Now Zacharias, he had a little bit of doubt and unbelief, and he made the mistake of asking the question, how am I going to know if this is really going to happen? And the angel said, because you didn't believe my word, I'm going to strike you with, with, with an inability to speak until the child comes. And uh, it was the word of the Lord, and God did it. I want you to see that the angel says, this son of yours, John, will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the fathers would be turned to their children. What does that mean? It means that the hearts of the fathers would be turned. Where, If the hearts of the fathers weren't turned to the children, then where were they turned? They were turned to themselves. Malachi spoke of the condition that would be in existence before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Go back to Malachi. Let's look at this. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will return physically and rule and reign on the earth. And he will judge this world. He will judge the wickedness of this world. He will judge our works, the Bible says. He won't judge our sin because he has taken our sin upon him. If you are in Christ tonight, if you have been born again, 
you will never be judged for your sin because Jesus has already taken the judgment for your sin. But the scripture does say that every man will give an account for his works. What did you do with the life of Christ that was given to you as a free gift? What did you do with it? And the scripture says, those things that are not eternal, those things that are not of God, that are just of this temporal realm, they're like wood, hay, and stubble. When, when, when they hit the fire, they're going to burn up. But the things that are of the Lord, the things that we did that were of eternal, were of the Spirit, the Scripture says those will be like gold, silver, and precious stones. They will be refined in the fire. How do you refine silver or how do you refine gold? You refine it by fire. So fire doesn't destroy silver. It doesn't destroy gold. It refines it. It makes it even more pure than it is. Through fire, gold and silver, the impurities that exist in gold and silver are, are refined out of it. And so... That's what the scripture says is going to happen with our works. And so, here, this coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, we could look ahead and say that's the day that Malachi spoke of, but, but let me present something different to you. That Malachi spoke of a day not still in our future, but a day that has already taken place in our past. It was the day, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What day is that? Now, let's go to the top of chapter 4 in Malachi. Go to the top. Don't worry about... It. I'm not really following my message guide right now, but don't worry about that. Just, just go with me to the top of... Of this chapter. Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. They will leave them neither, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, now, what kind of day is coming? A day is coming burning like an oven. And the proud and all who do wickedly will be stubble. It's like, like just, if you've ever been on a farm and you've worked around hay, and you've moved hay and all that stuff that just kind of falls, that's stubble. It's, it's just the residue. It says the wicked are going to be like stubble. If you ever need something to help you start a fire really quick, just get some stubble. Put it and light a match to it and it'll go up in flames real quick. He says that's the way the wicked are going to be. And he says that day that's coming shall burn them up. And that will leave them neither root nor branch. Now we've talked a lot lately about roots and branches, haven't we? Jesus said, I am the true vine. The scripture says he is the root of Jesse. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we said, if there's a true vine, then there must be a false vine. What vine do you want to be connected to? The true vine. Here, he will leave neither root nor branch. You think it's the true vine that's being taken away here? Uh-uh, it's the false vines. Those are the ones that are going to be cut down and taken away. Like the stubble, they'll be burned up because this day is burning like an oven. Now look what it says in verse 2. But to you who fear my name, you're not going to be like the stubble that's going to burn up. To you who fear my name, you're not going to be like the root and the branch that is not left. To you who fear my name, look at this, the son, S-U-N, the son of righteousness. Do you know it's said, I didn't know this, but when I did a, 
when I did an Old Testament survey class, I learned this, that you remember the burning bush of Moses? Do you know that the fact that the bush was on fire was not the miracle? That it gets so hot in some parts of that, uh, in that part of the world that there are bushes that spontaneously combust. It wasn't the fact that the bush was burning that was the miracle. The miracle was that the bush was not consumed. Now, Usually when a bush is dry enough to burn and it catches on fire, what's going to happen? It's going to burn up. The miracle was not that the bush was burning. The miracle was that the bush was not consumed. Kind of like the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was that they were in the fire, but they weren't consumed. And so here it says, But for you who fear my name, though the day is burning like an oven, though the sun will arise and the heat will be so intense, the stubble and the false roots and the false branches will be consumed but you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise not to consume you. He will rise with what? He will rise with healing in his wings. And you who fear my name, look at this, shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You who fear my name shall trample down the wicked. For they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet. Those ashes, that was the stubble that was consumed by the day that's burning like an oven. And he says, you won't be consumed. You will be like stall-fed calves who will grow out. You will have grown fat when the sun of righteousness rises. Now, he, remember, he's talking about a day that is coming. He said there is a day coming when the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Are you beginning to understand when that day was? Not is, but was. On, that, on the day that I do this, look at this. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. When was the enemy defeated? We just sang a song. The enemy has been defeated. Has he or will he be? He has. When was he defeated? Just hold your place there. Let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Let's, let's read starting at verse 13. And you being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Who were you made alive together with? Christ Jesus. Having forgiven all your sins, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, where? To the cross. Colossians 2, 14. Having nailed it to the cross. Having, there is a continuation of thought here. Do you see this? He took the handwriting of requirement that was against you. He took your sin he took everything that was contrary to you. He took everything that spoke of your death and your destruction. He took it all and he nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Having disarmed. Has he disarmed them? Has he? Yes, he has. Where did he disarm them? At the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Remember, I've said this before. Triumphing. The triumph. A triumph is, is not just a, a verb, triumphing over them in it. But a triumph spoke of an event. In Rome... 
there was an event called a triumph. And when, when Rome would conquer a nation, and they did this in 70 AD when they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and they, and, and they conquered the nation of Israel. This is exactly what they did. Titus, who was the general at that time, Titus took all of the best-looking, strongest young men. He took all of the, the richest, most beautiful and glorious-looking possessions, and he took them back to Rome. And Rome had a big main street, and there was an arch there called the Arch of Triumph. And, and the general would line his conquering army up and he would ride at the head of his conquering army and he would have literally tens of thousands of slaves. Do you know that Rome, the city of Rome, had a population in the millions? Do you know what percentage of the population were slaves? Over 70% of the population of Rome were slaves. You know where they came from? They came from all the nations that Rome had conquered. And every time they would conquer a nation, they'd have this big parade called a triumph. And they would make the people, the slaves, walk through the street naked. They would have them in chains, and they would make a public spectacle and a public humiliation out of them. They would make it the most humiliating thing possible to show the power of the Roman Empire over this enslaved people. This is exactly what the scripture says God did to Satan. He triumphed over him. He made a totally public, a totally humiliating spectacle out of him, out of his powers, out of his principalities when he triumphed over them at the cross. He left no question in any power of darkness as to who the victor is. Just like when they had that parade in Rome and they took all of those Jewish slaves back, there was no question in anybody's mind who won that war and who the victor was. Rome was the victor. When Jesus triumphed over powers and principalities, he left no question in anyone's mind except the church. <laughs> Did you get that? We're the only ones that still question whether we have the victory. Well, God, how can I have the victory if I'm sick in my body? Well, God, how can I have the victory if I'm still struggling financially? Well, God, how can I have the victory if I'm still in this mess down here? Because this mess here, the sickness in your body, the financial struggle you may be in, does not define, does not dictate your victory. What defines and what dictates your victory is that cross right there. And there is no sickness, there is no disease, there is no lack, there is nothing that can rob you of the victory of the cross. Because it is a finished and it is a completed Work, it is done, it is finished. When Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, I'm telling you what, the fate of the enemy was sealed right there. There was never any question whether Jesus would come out of that grave or not. None whatsoever. When he hung on that cross, though the enemy did not know what was transpiring on the cross. That's why Corinthians, that's why Paul wrote in Corinthians, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But before that it says, had the rulers of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what? Had they known how utterly and complete their defeat would be at the cross. Had they known how utterly humiliating a spectacle God would make out of them. When he triumphed over them at the cross. Had they known that, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have done it. And they did not know that through the crucifixion of Jesus, they, they, they themselves sealed their own defeat. They did. And I'm telling you, church, you need to get a revelation of that truth.
You need to quit looking at what's going on around you. You need to quit basing your life on your feelings. I don't care how bad you feel. Your bad feelings do not define your victory. They do not define your defeat. That cross is the only thing that defines victory and defeat for the believer. And there is no defeat in the cross except for the enemies of God. And so we come back to what Malachi says. Behold, the day is coming. Malachi, 400 years before John the Baptist, he said, guys, I'm telling you what, by the Spirit of God, there is a day coming. And it is burning like an oven. And the wicked and the proud, what was it that caused Lucifer to fall? Pride was found in him. And the proud and the wicked, what is going to happen to them? They will be as stubble. There will be no root left. There will be no branch left for the wicked. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So you were defeated, but at the cross, the Son of Righteousness rose with healing in his wings. And the enemy that held you captive And the enemy that had you under his foot became like stubble. The axe was laid to the root and the tree was taken down. And God won the victory. And not only did he win the victory, but he made an open show and spectacle of those who he defeated. And he says, now you shall go out, not defeated, But fat like a stall-fed calf, you shall trample the wicked. They will be like ashes under your feet. You ever walked around on ashes? Have you? I have. Go put some ashes out in your yard and walk on them. You know what happens? It's like dust and powder goes everywhere. There's nothing left. There's nothing left to resist. It's just ash. There's no power the enemy has over you except the power to deceive you and make you think you're still defeated when in reality you've won a victory at the cross through Jesus Christ. On the day that I do this, look what he says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. Why does he call the law his servant? What what does a servant do? It serves. Okay? So it serves a master. A servant serves a master. And what does the servant do? Whatever the master tells it to do, right? So the law, my servant, I wonder what purpose the law, the servant of God, had. I'll tell you. Paul said the law was my tutor. It was my schoolmaster. That brought me to Christ. The law, my servant, which brings us to Christ, which I commanded him. I commanded Moses concerning the law. He said, remember the law. That is my servant. My servant has a purpose. He's taking you somewhere. He's showing you something. He's going to reveal something to you. And what he's going to reveal is a person whose name is Jesus Christ. Behold... I will send you the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now let's stop for just a moment there. I want you to think for a moment. Can you think of a day more great and more dreadful than when God himself hung on a cross and died? Now stop and think about it for a moment. As great and as dreadful... As anything and everything you can read about in the book of Revelation may seem, I want you to stop for just a moment and think, who is Jesus? The scripture says he was with God at creation. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. There is not anything that is created that that exists that, that did not come from him. So who is the creator? Jesus is the creator. Can you imagine his creation 
Now the scripture says, Paul says, that the creation itself groans awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Creation groans. Jesus said, if you don't praise me, these rocks will cry out. And I believe they would have. I believe they would have. Why? Because that was the appointed time for the Messiah to come and to execute judgment and to bring total and complete victory. He said, if you guys don't praise me, if these people don't open their mouths and praise me, I'm telling you what, the very rocks will cry out. Why? Because those rocks in the whole created order has been waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And before the sons, S-O-N-S, plural, can be revealed, guess who had to be revealed? The son, singular, had to be revealed. And the son came and he said, if you don't praise me, I'm telling you what, the rocks will. Because they have been waiting for me. Because even if you don't recognize me, these rocks, they recognize me. They've been waiting for me. And I am going to defeat my enemies at the cross. And they know it. And here comes Jesus. Can you think of a day more great and more dreadful than when the creator of heaven and earth hung on a cross and died? Think about it. Can you imagine what the very created order must have thought when they saw the creator, the son of God, hanging on a cross, beaten so severely that he did not even look like a human being? He was laid open for all to see. He was totally humiliated. He was totally shamed. He didn't have a loincloth on. He didn't have a sheet on. He was up there stark, naked, beat to a pulp, bleeding like a bloody mess. It was a miracle he was even alive on that cross. This is the creator of heaven and earth. This is the one that breathed life into you. Can you think of a day more great and more dreadful than when the Son of God hung on a cross and died? I'm telling you what, there is no more great and dreadful day. Can you imagine what the angels, who do not understand our salvation, can you imagine what the angels must have thought when Jesus said, I could call for a legion of angels, and at my beck and call they would come and they would take me away. You cannot lay a finger on me. Except I allow you to do it. No man takes my life. I give it willingly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how tense those angels must have been? Just, I mean, waiting for the beck and call of the Savior. Watching him being beat to death. Literally. Waiting for him to call upon them so that they could rescue him. But he never called. Can you imagine what the angels must have thought as they saw the king of glory being beaten and humiliated. Can you think of a more great or dreadful day? And Malachi, the last prophet, before 400 years of silence, says the day is coming. But before the coming of that great and dreadful day, God is going to send a prophet Elijah. And before that great and dreadful day, this prophet is going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest I come, the Lord says, and strike the earth with a curse. Now go to Matthew chapter 3. I know I'm not following my message, God. You'll just have to do that on your own. I want you to see this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Yeah, you remember what we just read in Malachi? You remember some of the language that Malachi the prophet used? Let's begin in verse 1, chapter 3. In those days, John 
the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him at the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, these were the religious leaders, the lawyers of his day, the men who knew the scriptures frontwards and backwards, the most educated, the most elite, the most intelligent, the highest of the high of society. When they came, he said to them, hey boys, how you doing today? No, he didn't. You know what he said? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, look what he says in verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God made a man out of the mud the first time. He can make him out of this rock right here. Don't think because you are a physical descendant, you get a pass because you don't. Verse 10. And even now, now look at this, now, look what, look what it says, let me read it to you. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 10, John says, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? And fire. There is a day coming burning like an oven in which the stubble will be consumed, in which root and branch will not be left. Only ash shall remain. But for those who fear the name of the Lord, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. And you'll go out like fattened, stall-fed calves, and you'll trample down the wicked. They'll be like ashes under your feet. This is the one who will come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. If you're wicked and proud, that fire is going to consume you. It's going to expose you. But if you are one who fears the name of the Lord, he says, that fire will refine you. That fire will purify you. That fire will empower you and cause you to trample over and on top of your enemies. That's good news right there. His winnowing fan, look at verse 12, is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. You know what's on the threshing floor? You know what's left on the threshing floor? Stubble. That's where the stubble is. So here's what they do. You have a big rock. Maybe a rock, a flat rock, as big as this room right here. Remember, they didn't have combines and tractors in those days. So they would go out and they would by hand cut the grain out of the field. And they'd bring it to this big threshing floor. It was just just a great big gigantic flat rock. And they would put the grain on this rock. And then they would take the oxen. And the oxen would go in a circle. Round and round and round. Stepping all over that grain. Beating the seed out of it. And they would take then a winnowing fan, and they would fan that thing, and the wind would blow the stubble away, but the grain was heavy enough to remain. You know what they did with the stubble? They raked it all up, and they burned it. Because that's all stubble's good for. He'll come with his winnowing fan in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff 
with unquenchable fire. Now Malachi said there's a day coming. John, now 400 years later, he's saying this. Do you think those Pharisees who knew the scripture frontwards and backwards understood what he was saying? Absolutely. What did Zacharias say? He will come in the, in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And the hearts of the children would be turned back to their fathers. What fathers? To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to those fathers of faith. We are children of Abraham, not through our physical descendants, but we are children of Abraham by faith. He'll turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Back to which fathers? The fathers of the faith. The fathers who exercised faith in God. The fathers who walked by faith. The fathers who lived by faith. And he said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I'm going to turn your wicked hearts away from yourselves. And I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Why? So that the children can be raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Not just your natural children, but we're called to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. So that the children of God can grow up and know the ways of the Lord. So that the hearts of the children can be turned back to the ways of the Father. The ways of the fathers of faith. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It was this Jesus that John came and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he said that, here's what he was saying. The Son of Righteousness is getting ready to arise and when he arrives, you brood of vipers, you Pharisees and you Sadducees, you men of the law, who told you to flee the wrath which is to come? The fire is coming. And if you don't turn from your wickedness, he says, you're going to be like stubble. You're going to get burned up. But for those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Go back to Malachi. Go back to Malachi. I want to go back into chapter 3. Let's begin at verse 13. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. Do you know that's true, church? There's nothing new under the sun. There's, there's no new temptation. There's no new things that, that it's, it, there's nothing new. You still have sickness and disease. You still have the temptation of sin. You still have the same trials of life. The situations change. Our culture changes. We have electricity now. They didn't back then, but, but, but it doesn't really matter. We go through the same things. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. So look, listen as I read this. Listen to the attitude of the people. Malachi wrote these four chapters as a judgment against the people of God because of their attitudes. They had stopped worshiping God. They stopped paying their tithe and giving to the Lord. They just had a bad attitude toward God. And, and look at the attitude. Verse 13, chapter 3, Malachi 3.13. Your words have been harsh. This is what the Lord is saying. God says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Lord, how have our words been harsh against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? What good has it done me to serve God? What good has it done me to walk as a mourner and to sacrifice for God? It hadn't done me any good. I don't see any benefit. As a matter of fact... Now we call the proud blessed. It seems like the proud are getting all the blessings. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They're exalted. It seems like the people that are getting all the promotions, the people that, that are being exalted and lifted up in life, and everybody's looking at them, they're getting all the kudos, and they're getting all the blessing. 
Those are the wicked. What good has it done us to serve God? To be like mourners in this land. We've served the Lord and we kept his ordinances. And look what it's gotten us. Nothing but hardship. I mean the proud are blessed and the wicked. They get all the promotions. They're, they're exalted. But look at us. It has done nothing for us to serve the Lord. This is what the people were saying. Have you ever had those thoughts? Have you ever known people that had those thoughts? I have people tell me quite frequently, you know, I tried God, but it just didn't. seem like, matter of fact, pastor, when I started going to church and living for the Lord, it seemed like my life got worse. So it didn't take me long to figure out I was better off not serving the Lord. There ain't nothing new under the sun. They were saying the same thing back then, 2,500 years ago. But look at this. Those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. They, they're not even punished. They break the law. They sin against God and they go free. No consequences for their actions. Well, look at me. I'm trying to do what's right. And I'm suffering as much as anyone can suffer. It's pointless. It's useless. But look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. I wonder what they said. Maybe they said, whew, man. You know, I can see where those guys are coming from, but, but I, I'm not going to say that. I don't believe that. It may, it may appear that that's the way. It may appear that the wicked are getting by. It may appear that the proud is being blessed. It may appear... There's no consequence to their sinful life. They may be getting all the blessing right now, but, but you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't believe that because, because God is true. God's not a liar. And God says, you will reap what you sow. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord, look, look at verse 16. The Lord listened and heard them. Do you know God hears what you say? He's here. He hears what I say. He hears our conversations with one another. He hears our conversations in our heart and in our mind. They, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. He said, these people right here, they fear my name. Write them in the book. I wonder what book that was. Maybe it was the Lamb's book of life. That's what book I think it was. God said, I'm going to remember you. You feared my name. You put your trust in me even when it looked like there was no reason to trust me. You weren't moved by the blessing of the wicked. You weren't moved by the blessing of the proud. You weren't moved when it seemed like everyone that did wickedness got off scot-free. You kept your trust in me you kept your faith in me and you refused to compromise and you refused to bow down and you refused to turn your back on me you kept the faith God says I'm writing you in my book I'm writing you in my book so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name look at verse 17 they shall be mine says the Lord of hosts on the day that I make them my jewels. What that literally says right there, on the day that I make them my special treasure. You know what Ephesians says? We carry this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the treasure of God. You know why? Because we carry a treasure. God has put his most valuable treasure in this chest right here. And in those chests sitting in those pews right there. If you belong to Christ, you are a treasure chest. God has put his most valuable treasure in. He has put the very life of his son inside of you. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more valuable in heaven, on earth, in any place, created, non-created, eternal or temporal. There is nothing more precious, more valuable than the treasure you carry, which is the very life 
of the Son of God. And Paul says we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. God says on that day when I make them, who? Those who fear my name. Those who put their trust in me. There is coming a day when I will make them my special treasure. And when Jesus defeated hell and the grave and all his enemies at the cross and through the resurrection... When you put your faith in Him, He made you His very own special treasure. And He says, you will be mine on the day that I make them my jewels, my special treasure. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. We no longer have received the spirit of bondage, of fear again, but we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, I am a son You are a son, you are a daughter, and God is our father on that day. He says, I will spare them and make them as my very own son. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. One who has that treasure of life and one who does not. There's only one place I can serve God. That's in Christ. If I'm not in Christ, I can't serve Him. There's only one place I can worship God. That's in Christ. If I'm not in Christ, I can't worship Him. You can sing all the songs you want till you're hoarse and you can't sing anymore. That is not worship. If you're not in Christ, it's impossible for you to worship Him. If you're not in Christ, it's impossible for you to serve Him. If you're not in Christ, you are not His Son. You are not his very own, and you are not his special treasure. But there was a day coming, Malachi said. What day was it? It was the day of the cross and the day of the resurrection. When God says on that day, I will make them my very own special treasure. I will spare them. The fire will come, but the fire will not burn them. And I'm not talking about the fire of hell. Look at this. Go to John. Oh, there's a fire of hell. But you don't have to worry about that if you belong to Christ. Look at John chapter 3. Verse, you know John 3, 16, right? Most of you probably haven't memorized. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you know Jesus didn't come to condemn the world? When Malachi spoke of that coming day, it wasn't for the condemnation of the world. You know why? Well, I'll tell you why. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came so that the Son of Righteousness could rise with healing in his wings. For those who fear him, he came for those who fear his name. He came for those who were written in that book of remembrance. For those who kept the faith when it looked like it was useless to keep the faith. For those who kept looking toward Him and kept looking up when it seemed like the wicked did nothing but prosper and the righteous was trampled underfoot. God says, don't worry guys, there's coming a day burning like an oven. When I'm telling you what, the wicked and the proud will be made as stubble, but the son of righteousness, he will rise with healing in his wings. And then you, you will go out like stall-fed calves. You'll trample the wicked down. Why? Because you were written in my book of remembrance. Because I know you. Because I remember you. Because I listened and I heard and I saw your faith in me. So the son of God didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him, we might say it this way, he who fears his name is not condemned, but he who does not believe, he who does not fear his name is what? Is condemned already. They were already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn them. They were already condemned because they didn't believe in him. He came for you. He came to make you his special treasure. He came to cause you to to leap around like stall-fed calves and to trample the wicked underfoot. He came for you that the fire would not burn you, but that it would refine you and make you glorious and make you majestic and make you a reflection of His very nature and His very glorious face. Do you see that, church? Do you see what Jesus has done? John said... I've come to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. 
in the hearts of the children to the Father to turn them back to God. Why? Because this is what God wants to do in your life. This is why He came. Now, I have a whole nice thing here about fatherhood. You can read that later. But here's the thing. See, fatherhood isn't just what we have in the earth. Fatherhood is who God is. In the Old Testament, over and over and over, God gives promises to the fatherless. I mean, in Deuteronomy, verse after verse after verse, he announces promises to the fatherless and judgment upon those who, who, who do the fatherless wrong. Psalm 10, 14 says, God is the helper of the fatherless. Verse 18 says that God intends to do justice to the fatherless. Psalm 68, 5 says a father, he is a father of the fatherless. Psalm 146, 9 says the Lord relieves the fatherless. I'm telling you what, there are scores upon scores of verses of promises that God makes to the fatherless. And some say that we live today in the fatherless generation. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. These are all government statistics. 80% of rapists are motivated with displaced anger that comes from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth sitting in prisons grew up in a fatherless home. Nearly two of every five children in America do not live with their fathers. What does this mean? It means that Fatherless children are 4.6 times more likely to commit suicide, 6.6 times more likely to become teenage mothers, 24.3 times more likely to run away, 15.3 times more likely to have behavioral disorders, 6.3 times more likely to be in a state-operated institution, 10.8 times more likely to commit rape, 6.6 times more likely to drop out of school, and 15.3 times more likely to end up in prison while a teenager. That sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? But remember the word of the Lord. God says, that may be true, statistically, but for those who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. That may be true statistically, but God says, I am a relief to the fatherless. I am a help to the fatherless. I am a father to the fatherless. I will do justice toward the fatherless. I will help and prosper and bless and guard and protect and watch out for the fatherless. Why? Because there's no one else to. That's what God says. But see, God says, I'm going to send a prophet. And this prophet is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. And he wasn't talking biology. He was talking about a love, the love of a Savior, the love of a Father in heaven who sent His only Son so that those who fear His name, for those who will put their faith and their trust in Him, they don't have to be held in the bondage of fear anymore, but they can now receive the spirit of adoption by which they can cry out, Daddy God, God, you are my Father. God, you are my protector. God, you are my advocate. God, you are my blessing. You are my prosperity. You are my justice. You are my peace. You are my relief in this world. And to prove it, God sent his son of righteousness and he has risen, church. He has risen. And so we have hope. We have hope. Don't look at the wicked. Don't look at the society. Don't look at Everything around you that seems to be contrary to God, it is contrary to God. But the victory that we have in Christ is not determined by those things. It's determined by one thing and one thing only. It is the cross. And if you have been crucified with him, you have been raised with him. And you already are 
victorious in him. Amen? So rejoice. So rejoice. So rejoice. Hallelujah. So rejoice. Let's give the Lord. Let's rejoice. Father, we thank you. We thank you tonight, God, of your, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us such great and precious promises in Christ Jesus. Lord, you're not a man that you should lie. Lord, your promises are yes and amen. There is no variableness nor shadow of turning in you, God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your word, heaven and earth, may pass away. But Lord Jesus, you said, my words will never pass away. And Father, we stand on your word, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what we may witness in this corrupt world. We stand on your word and on your promises. And the Son of righteousness has risen, God, and you have given us victory. It is already won in Christ Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a great evening. Have a happy Father's Day weekend. If you like prayer for anything, you come and, and uh, 